This morning's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, where Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven. For it, the kingdom of heaven, is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to them, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have, here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, Even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. (laughs) Why don't we say thank you to our FTC Dr. Trombones and choir members and... Lord, we ask that you would help us be the kind of church you want us to be that you would use the Bible and what you say in it this morning to help us become your kingdom people and your kingdom church. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want to say hello to those of you sitting in the narthex. Great to have you with us. One of my former college students years ago had two great job offers when he got out of college. The first was from some company that he'd never heard of that offered him a really low wage and some stock options, but the stock wasn't worth anything, so he turned them down and took a job at a company called Doodot, which had a silly name, but offered a much better salary and a lot more security. The problem was that company went belly up about a year later, and uh, he found himself unemployed. So he did what every young person does who doesn't have a job. He went to graduate school, got a Ph.D., So it all turned out okay. And even though he lost his first job, he says that he doesn't regret the decision he made to turn that first company down. And 
that it's been so long he hardly ever thinks about the fact anymore that he could have been employee number 10 at Google. <laughs> Oops. But as many of you pointed out to me a few weeks ago, Microsoft is a much better company anyway. <laughs> so Romans 8.28 is true. God works for good in all circumstances. Let me ask you this question. What are you investing your life in? What are you investing your time, your talent, your treasure, your skills? What are you investing in? And do those things have long-term payoff? Or, like my student, do the things you invest in offer a low-risk, high-security, temporarily comfortable life with no long-term future in store? This fall, I've been talking about the kingdom of God. What happens when up there comes down here in me, my church, and my world? And the story that Greg just read, Jesus is trying to communicate something about the kingdom. He's saying the kingdom of God is so important, it is so valuable, that it is worth investing in, even if that investment seems risky. And that's what kingdom people do. What kingdom people do is they make bold, daring investments to partner with God in building his kingdom. And you can see it in the verbs that are used to describe these, the first two servants. The text says that the guy who got five talents went out at once, put the money to work, and won five talents more. Same with the guy who had two talents. But just look at those verbs. Went out, work, won. Those are not scaredy-cat, sissy words. Those are bold, aggressive words. Those are real words. Those are verbs, real verbs, not even gerunds, verbs. Now compare that to what the one-talent guy did. It says he went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Went away, dug a hole, hid. Those are sissy words. Instead of doing something immediately, he waits. Instead of moving out, he went away. Instead of going to work, he digs a hole. Instead of winning, he hides. His is a life of fear, of playing it safe, it's a high-security, high-comfort, low-risk life. And the tragedy is, at the time that Jesus was telling this story, that's the kind of life most religious people led. That's the kind of life they thought they were supposed to lead. In Jesus' day, most religious people just kind of played it safe. They tried to avoid non-religious people because they might get corrupted. And they tried to do sin management, just tried not to mess up too much. Rather than moving out into the world to bring reconciliation, restoration, and rejoicing, the three R's of the kingdom, instead they withdraw. And unfortunately, that is sometimes what religious people still do today. It's, it's what I, unfortunately, have a tendency to do. Instead of moving out, I, I huddle up with other Christians who think exactly like I do. That way I can avoid talking to non-Christians about my faith because they might think I'm weird or something, and I don't want that. And sometimes I think the whole point of being a Christian is that there's this God watching me and I, I just have to not sin. You know, do sin management. That's what Jesus died, so that we could all do sin management. Rather than positively try to build God's kingdom. The problem with that, though, is it's not a very inspiring vision, right? I mean, what if I told you that we've just adopted a new mission statement for our church? Right? First press Bellevue, we just don't want to be bad. Right? Wow, aim high, right? I'm inspired. We're safe here. You know, that, 
That, that is not, that, that life is a prison and it leads to weeping and gnashing of teeth like it says at the end of the, of the parable. And that's not what God calls us to do. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to make us kingdom people. And what kingdom people do is because of Jesus' power living inside of them, we move out into the world. We don't retreat into our religious clubs. We work to bring reconciliation, restoration, and rejoicing rather than dig a hole and hide what God has given us. And we do all of this immediately with enthusiasm and joy because of the power of Jesus inside. As Captain Kirk from Star Trek would say, our mission is to boldly go where no one has gone before. Even though that's a split infinitive, it should be boldly, go boldly, but never mind, right? <laughs> or boldly to go, but don't split the infinitive. Anyway, now if you're like me, that sounds kind of inspiring, but in reality it's hard to do. Because it can be scary, it can be risky, but maybe even more than that, it's just there's so much inertia in our life. We're, we're stuck in such a routine, we don't even know how to get started. Well, I think that the good news is that because of Jesus, we can have this type of adventure-filled, barbarian Christian life for a couple of reasons. First, we can make bold, daring investments to build God's kingdom because God is good and he provides. The problem with the one-talent guy isn't that he just has one talent. The problem is he's got the wrong image of his master. He thinks his master is cruel and stingy. He calls him harsh, even though the master has just given him the equivalent of $3 million. That's what one talent would be worth in our terms. His view of the master is still that he is a tightwad. And this is Satan's oldest trick in the book. It's his first trick. Way back in Genesis 3, when he was tempting Adam and Eve to get that apple, how'd he do it? He said, you know, God doesn't want you to eat this because you're going to like it. And it's going to be fun. And it'll make you smart, maybe even smarter than God. He's holding out on you. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. And so Adam and Eve get scared and they take matters into their own hands because they don't think that God is good. And that's what happens when we don't think that God is good. Then what we start to do is we just start to grab onto everything we can and hold on to as much as we can for ourselves, because if we don't, well, then who's going to? But if we believe that God is good, that he will meet our needs, maybe not our wants, but our needs, and that he will take whatever is difficult and hard in our life and use it for good, if we really believe that, as the Bible says is true, well, then we can risk it all. Because God is just going to give it back to us plus more. And that's the point of this parable. Whatever we invest, we get back plus interest. Time, money, talent, skills, whatever we invest, more than worth it. Because of the relationships we'll make along the way. Because of the ways we'll get to see God work in our lives. Because even though we give stuff away, God still provides and that helps us know that he's real. More than worth it what we invest because of the joy that comes from doing it. I think of Kurt and Fawn Pride who are members here in this church. And they're real estate developers who have figured out how to use their business for God. And one of their projects is some low-income housing in the Central District. And their vision is to create this housing for people who really could benefit from home ownership but could never really afford it. Maybe a single mom who's getting out of an abusive relationship. Or maybe a homeless person who's getting back up on their feet. Or a teacher who wants to teach in the Central District but can't afford to live there. 
They've taken their business and they've turned it into kingdom business. And they're having a lot of fun doing it. I, I just talked to Fawn on Wednesday and she said, we've never had so much fun in all of our lives. Our business got way more fun when we finally learned how to do it for Jesus. That's the kingdom. The more you give away, the more you get back. It's funny math. It doesn't pencil, as the accountants say. It looks like God could get a D- minus in algebra. But that is the upside-down, inside-out arithmetic of God's kingdom. The more we die to ourselves, the more alive we become. The further down we go to serve, the higher up we ascend to know God. The more we give, the more we get. When we really believe that God is good, we will make risky, daring investments in his kingdom because we know he's going to be there to provide. The second reason that we can make bold and daring investments to build God's kingdom is because everything we have belongs to him anyway. It's not our stuff we're investing. It's God. My youngest daughter, Lucy, is two years old. And guess what her favorite word is next to know? Mine. It is the world according to a toddler. If I want it, it's mine. If you want it, it's mine. If I've ever touched it, it's mine. If you've ever touched it, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. Otherwise, it's mine. But nothing in our house belongs to Lucy. It's not hers. Because you know what? You know whose it is? It's mine. I paid for it. It doesn't belong to her. I can't figure out why she keeps saying it's mine when it's mine. Where did she learn to say mine all the time? It is not mine. It is not Lucy's. It is God's. Although Lucy sometimes thinks she's God's, it's God's. Yes, I worked for it. But who gave me the ability to work in the first place? And who made it so that I was born in America to good parents who made sure I got a good education so I could get a job? None of that was my call. All of that was God's. It's not mine. It's his. And that's the point of this parable. It belongs to the master. And the master is so generous. What he says is, here, take my stuff. I'm going to give some of it to you. And I want you to go have fun with it. I want you to go invest it in my kingdom. See what you can do with the time and the talent and the skills and the connections that I've given you. And have some fun doing it. We can spend our time, talent, and treasure as if we were teenagers with dad's credit card. Because that's what we are. We can risk everything we have because it comes from God and he is generous. It's not ours. It's just ours to spend on the kingdom, which is kind of cool. God is good and he provides. It's not ours anyway. And finally, we can make bold, daring investments to build God's kingdom because God is a track coach, not a curve grader. My dad was a track coach. And he'd always say to his athletes, don't look at who's ahead of you on the track or who's behind you. I want you to look at the clock. You're racing against yourself. You're racing to beat your best time yet. And that's a very different philosophy than a teacher who grades on a curve. Right? A curve, gra curve grader, is, is, grader is comparing you to everyone else. God is not a curve grader. He's a track coach. He's not comparing you with anyone else. He just wants you to do the best you can with what he's given you. In this story, the two-talent guy gets commended every bit as much as the five-talent guy, even though the five-talent guy had more money. The question is not how much do you have. 
It's what are you doing with what he gave you. And this is important because sometimes I think we're really afraid to step out and build the kingdom, not only because we're afraid we're going to lose something, but that maybe we don't have that much to offer in the first place. What difference can I make? I can't make a very big difference. I don't have as much money as that other person. I'm not as spiritually mature as so-and-so. I don't have as much talent as such-and-such. God is not comparing you to so-and-so. He's just looking at you and saying, what are you doing with what I gave you? And any other voice than that is not the voice of your Father. We can risk to invest in God's kingdom because God's good and He will provide. It all belongs to Him anyway. And he's not, he's not a curve grader, he's a track coach. So we can invest in his kingdom. And then the promise of this parable is when we do that, we have joy. The master says this interesting thing to the five and the two talent guy. He says, enter your master's joy. The reward for investing in the kingdom is joy. Because when we do, it gets us out of ourselves and life becomes something bigger than just me my wants, my needs, my stuff, my comfort, my, my, oh, my, my, right? Life expands to be about how I get to work side by side with Jesus and make an up there come down here. Me, little old, angst-ridden, fear-driven, insecure, one-talent me gets to partner with Jesus in making his kingdom prayer come true and making his will get done on earth here as it is in heaven. Me, little old me, gets to do that. Not bad for a hit from the sticks from eastern Washington. A colleague of mine has a friend named Toby. And when Toby was in high school, he went with a Christian relief organization to Africa. And one of their stops was at a food distribution center. And he met a little 11-year-old boy there who followed him around the whole day. When it was time to go, this little boy started to hang on to Toby's shirt. And Toby realized that what this little 11-year-old boy wanted was the shirt that he was, Toby was wearing. But Toby didn't have an extra shirt with him, so if he took the shirt off his back, he'd have to go all day without a shirt, and he didn't want to get a sunburn, and he thought that would look weird to walk around all day without a shirt. So he just got back on the bus and went back to where they were staying. Well, that night, Toby couldn't get that little boy out of his head. It just ate at him. And even after he got back home to America, Toby could not get that little boy out of his head. So he had this idea. He thought, you know what, I was in Ethiopia where a kid would have been thrilled just to get one t-shirt. And I live in America where everyone has like dozens of t-shirts they're not using. So he started going door to door and asking people if they would donate a t-shirt. He called it the Give the Shirt Off Your Back campaign. And pretty soon a local news station heard that what Toby was doing and Toby ended up on the local news. And then some 7-Elevens in his town found out what he was doing and they put a bin out in their 7-Eleven and people could put their shirts in the 7-Eleven bin. And Toby ended up with tons of t-shirts. And then he had to sort through them all and get rid of the ones with holes and stains in them. You know, the kind that your wife throws away when you're not looking. <laughs> Even though you've had it since you were in college and you loved it, but because she has no sense of fashion history or tradition, she gets rid of it. Right? That? <laughs> but I digress. Back to my point. He ended up with 10,000 t-shirts. So then he had to figure out, how am I going to get all these shirts to Africa? Good question. So he started to pray. Right answer. It took him three months, but finally a relief organization offered to take him. 
uh, take the shirts for him. And after they dropped them off in the country, they called him back and said, just wanted you to know what country they ended up in. Ended up in Ethiopia, the country that he had first visited. One boy, one shirt, one kid in Ethiopia. It is not about how much you have. It's about going on an adventure with Jesus to see what he can do with what he's given you. And this story would have been just as significant if Toby had simply given him the one shirt off of his back the first time. And God would have multiplied even that somehow. So what about you? Do you want to go on an adventure with Jesus? Do you want to see what he can do with what he's given you? Maybe it's time you'll invest. I know a woman who regularly drives across the mountains just to watch her grandkids' soccer game. That is a kingdom investment. Maybe it's your hobbies, like our auto angels, who love fixing up cars, so they do it for free for people who can't afford it. Maybe it's your connections or your reputation that you can leverage for the kingdom. Maybe it's your creativity. A good friend of mine wanted to raise money for a homeless shelter, so she took a hundred bucks and hired a kickboxing instructor to give kickboxing lessons to the women at her church. I thought that was creative. She took the profits from that class and donated it to the homeless shelter. And when the instructor found out what she was doing, he didn't want to get paid for it. In fact, he started volunteering at the shelter himself. So as a result, she ended up raising a couple of thousand dollars for this homeless shelter, and there are now dozens of Presbyterian women who know how to kickbox. (laughs) Always a good thing. Right? Let me give you this challenge. Before you leave today, write down on a slip of paper how between now and Easter you'd like to go on an adventure with Jesus to partner with him in investing in his kingdom. And then put that piece of paper on your mirror, your refrigerator, to remind you you made the commitment. Tell me or one of the other pastors that you did it so we can pray for you. And then after Easter, send us the emails about what God did. One day we are all going to stand in front of Jesus. And no matter what we've done or haven't done, he is going to welcome us into heaven if we call him Savior and Lord. But he's also going to ask us questions. He's going to say, I gave you a body and a mind, some time, some work that you could do, some co-workers, some friends, some money, maybe a lot of money. And what did you do with it? And it's not going to affect whether or not I get into heaven. But in that moment, I want to be able to say, Lord, I didn't bury what you gave me. I didn't live in fear and comfort and inertia. I didn't play it safe. I risked it all. And sometimes I succeeded and sometimes I failed. But Lord, I risked it all. And what a ride it was, Lord. What an adventure. Thanks for the chance to do it. That's the kind of man I want to be. And that's the kind of life I want to lead. And I bet you do too. We aren't having nearly as much fun with our stuff as we could have. So what has he given you? And how can you invest it for him and watch it grow with interest? Lord, thank you for the amazing invitation you give us to take the time, talent, treasure, skills, hobbies, connections that you've given us and use a part of them for your kingdom. Lord, we're grateful for that. We ask that you help us do that. And then, Lord, give you all the glory. We ask this in your name. Amen.